tropical storm Lupit left Taiwan Sunday, leaving in its wake a trail of devastation. President Tsai visited the Central Emergency Operations Center Sunday morning and was briefed on the damage the nation has sustained in agriculture, transportation, as well as commodity price fluctuations. Afterwards, she had this to say. Although this was not a typical typhoon, such tropical low-pressure system, coupled with the southwesterly airstream, had already brought disasters to various places. Yesterday, the embankment of a section of high-speed railway between Miaoli and Taichung collapsed due to heavy rains. After emergency response was carried out, the high-speed rail was able to resume two-way traffic on a single track early this morning. The Transportation Ministry is requested to continue to work hard to restore traffic on both tracks, but should pay attention to the safety of construction personnel. We want to specifically remind everyone that the mountainous areas are unstable after heavy rains and earthquakes. I asked the Transportation Ministry to continue monitoring the embankments along railways, high-speed railways and highways, and to respond early. When necessary, they should close off traffic when they get an early warning. Besides addressing the weather condition and the collapse of the high-speed rail embankment, Tsai also mentioned that agricultural damage surpassed 180 million NT and disaster relief money will be handed out in a generous, rapid and simplified manner. Council of Agriculture Chief Chen Zizhong also said if the extent of damage is backed by scientific data, the money will be doled out to farmers who are verified to be growing crops. Three tribes located deep in the mountains of Kaohsiung have been cut off from the outside world after a flash flood washed away a bridge which served as the lifeline of the region. More than 500 residents in Kaohsiung's Taoyuan district have been trapped in their remote villages with enough food and water to last for just two weeks. Once the weather cleared on Sunday, a helicopter was dispatched to bring supplies and power company personnel to restore power supply. Turbid water carrying rocks and mud unrelentingly rushed down the mountain, battering Mingba Kalu Bridge. The bridge was no match for the galloping water. In a matter of seconds, it was cut in half under the impact of the flood water. The three tribes of Fuxing, Lafulan, and Meishan have become islands cut off from the outside world. More than 500 residents in Taoyuan district were trapped with enough food to last only two weeks. Once favorable weather returned Sunday, the National Airborne Services Corps seized the opportunity and dispatched a helicopter carrying supplies into Kaohsiung's mountains. Four Thai power personnel were also on board to help resuscitate power supply. The destroyed Mbakalu Bridge was something that made the news not so long ago. In 2009, Typhoon Morocco devastated southern Taiwan and destroyed a section of the Southern Cross Island Highway near Qinghe. It took eight years to rebuild, and a new bridge was inaugurated in April 2017. This bridge was the last project in rebuilding the Qinghe to Fuxing section. It's like the last mile of running a marathon. We also had to fight against time. If the weather was good, we would hurry with the construction. When the weather turned bad, we had to quickly pull out. Before the bridge opened, we couldn't transport our crops down from the mountain during heavy rain. If you wanted to transport them, you had to go via the top of the mountain, which takes 
two hours to get here. Now that the bridge is open to traffic, it's very convenient. It takes about 10 minutes to make the trip now. After the bridge was built in 2017, residents in the mountain no longer had to take the long way nor worry about being trapped in the mountains in the event of torrential rain. However, having been in service for just four years, the bridge was no more. The roads leading to it had once again closed off. Rebuilding efforts will begin again, but it will take some time before a new bridge can take its place. Matsu was also devastated by Tropical Storm Lupit Saturday in what's referred to as the worst disaster to hit the outlying islands in 20 years. In Qingbi Village, a popular tourist destination with well-preserved traditional buildings, two storehouses had collapsed and 11 cars destroyed. Water and electricity had also been cut off. On Sunday, the army sent more than 100 troops to the village to clean up the debris, an operation that local authorities estimate would take three days to complete. In the aftermath of extremely heavy rain, entire roads were covered under a layer of ochre. Military personnel, each with a shovel in hand, worked tirelessly to clear the area of debris. In the hardest-hit Chimbi village, the troops were busy helping villagers clean up their storehouses. Even construction vehicles were deployed to speed up the work. This car was stuck in the mud. Though extricated by a crane truck, it's already been severely damaged. As for losses, well, we've lost our cars. More importantly, tourists cannot come in. As for food, the township office will look for help from other villages. Just a day ago, the heavy rain turned stone steps into rapids and miniature waterfalls. Pictures provided by a local villager showed that a rockfall had left a hole in this tin roof. A mudslide had also rearranged parked vehicles and gutted building foundations. Over in Nangan Township, the flood was knee-high. Tropical Storm Lupit brought the worst disaster Matsu had seen in nearly 20 years. Currently, villagers say there's no water, no electricity, no internet or phone connections. As for reconstruction, we will have to see what the government plans to do. In the wake of the disaster, local authorities are looking to the central government, hoping that it will soon approve river management initiatives and improve the drainage system so that they would be spared from landslides next time a storm strikes. More Moderna vaccines purchased by the Taiwan government arrived Sunday afternoon. The current shipment, which contains 99,600 doses, was the fifth batch of foreign vaccines to be delivered to Taiwan. And there was more good news. On Sunday, Taiwan recorded its lowest single-day number of new COVID cases since the beginning of the domestic outbreak on May 11th. Let's hear from the health minister. There are four domestic cases today. Two tested positive while they were in home isolation or completed their isolation period. Two domestic cases are from Taipei, while the other two are from New Taipei and Taoyuan, respectively. The rate of people released from quarantine has reached 89.7%. From the graph here, we can see that the trend of new cases is becoming more and more stabilized, and there are fewer cases now. We hope that as case numbers continue to go down, contact tracing can become more accurate so that the outbreak can become better controlled. August 8th is also Father's Day in Taiwan. Breathing a sigh of relief, Minister Chen, who has been at the helm since mid-May, 
happily shared with reporters that he planned to visit his grandson and couldn't wait to get some quality time with his family. The epidemic prevention team also took a well-deserved two-day break on Saturday and Sunday after having met every night for almost three months. Taiwan's average annual household income is under half a million Taiwan dollars, but the average in five Xinju communities is several times that amount. Income tax statistics from 2019 showed an average annual income of 2.86 million NT in the counties and the nation's wealthiest borough. This high income is due to the Xinju Science Park. But workers in the county say that this income is the result of countless hours of hard work. High rises abound, reaching up into the sky. Green parks are nestled between the buildings and all around are shops offering up everything from shaken beverages and fast food to pharmaceuticals and cosmetics, all of life's amenities. According to 2019 income tax statistics from the Ministry of Finance, this is Taiwan's wealthiest community, Xinju City's Guanxing Borough. The average annual income here is 2.86 million NT. Most of the borough's residents work in the technology sector. Previously, there were residents who came to me and said, the lampposts, the lights in the park, can we have them turn off later in the evening? Because sometimes they don't finish work and return home until very late at night. Actually, behind all that money is a lot of hard work. The managers at these companies are working every day, all day and all night, all for the benefit of the company. Thanks to Xinju Science Park, the county was home to the nation's five wealthiest communities in 2019. Aside from Guanxing Borough, these also include three boroughs in Zhubei City and the village of Sanfeng in the county's Baoshan Township. It's all about location. This area is close to the science park, so many of the park's engineers and managers like it here. The population density is also not that high here, so some of the bosses of listed companies choose to have their family registries registered here. That's why this area's average income is so high now. Xinju Science Park has spurred economic development in the county, and this in turn has spurred the county's real estate market. It's no surprise that Xinju is known as Taiwan's Silicon Valley. One of Taiwan's most iconic cultural features is its traditional markets. They date back to before the Japanese colonial era, when they were critical hubs for commerce and socializing. For many older adults today, traditional markets are still the preferred place to buy fresh produce. But with the passage of time, traditional markets have become less prominent in everyday life, falling behind to competitors like global retailers and big box stores. Today, traditional markets face a reckoning like never before. In this first installment of our Sunday special report, we meet vendors who keep the old markets alive, all while striving to adapt to a brave new world. It's the early morning hours, and most people are still struggling to get out of bed. But here, tucked away in an alley, this traditional food market is already pulling up the shutters for a day of transactions. One merchant nimbly scales a fish, the crisp sound of the scaler cutting through the air. Another rhythmically pounds pork chops, tenderizing them to perfection. 
The sound of seasoned merchants hawking their produce can be heard all around. Merchants smile at passersby while a medley of aromas permeates the air. This is the traditional market we are all familiar with. Our traditional markets emerged sometime during the Qing dynasty. They were open as stalls lining the road. Farmers would squat down along the roadside, selling their wares. For example, they would sell peanuts, azuki beans and household essentials. Of course, they also had fish and vegetables. When the Japanese came to Taiwan, they noticed these stalls were uncovered, which in the heat of Taiwan's summers was not very sanitary. So they reformed them. At the start of the Japanese colonial era, stall keepers were forced to reform. The Japanese authorities implemented rules and established a system for regulating markets. Later, in the 1960s, the KMT government included markets in city planning programs, and public markets emerged throughout the country. Those who visited the markets formed connections there and shared in the experiences of older generations. Those experiences are part of a rich cultural story. At these markets, people would talk about everything. This was one of the special characteristics of Taiwanese traditional markets, the warmth and human touch. Fujo Noodle Shop, which is already in its fifth generation of ownership, opened for business during the Japanese colonial era. The owner, Zhao Sanqi, began working alongside his parents at eight years old. Although time has changed the appearance of the shop, Zhao's feelings toward the market have never changed. From the moment he was born, his life was inextricably tied to this place. Before, we used to cook in large woks. There were two large woks over there. My mother had me right here, so I'm a true local at Taichung's second market. For Zhao, who is now in his 60s, time has passed in the blink of an eye. After decades of cooking noodles, he has finally set down the ladle, passing that baton on to his son. These days, his son is at the front of the shop cooking while he wraps wontons in the back. Each wonton is wrapped to the perfect size, and there is no shortage of hungry mouths showing up to sample them. Decades-old markets are not just a thing of southern and central Taiwan. In the north as well, there is no shortage of such markets. Having married into the trade 30 years ago, Zhen Shuying learned butchery from her husband's family and has been at it now for nearly three decades. She selects and cuts meat with the greatest attention to detail. My father-in-law began selling pork at 17. Today, he is in his 80s, so it's been more than 60 years. My husband is the third generation of butchers in his family, and my son is now learning the trade from us. Whether a customer wants sliced meat, chopped meat, shredded meat, or meat with skin removed, market butchers do everything they can to meet a request. And customers who can't cook need not worry. While waiting on their order, they can get cooking tips from the masters. Yeah. 
料比较好吃。你要炒麻油酒，还是要煮一个番红菜、菠菜都可以。This is part of the fun of shopping at markets, and what convinces people to keep returning. But then, in 1969, Taiwan got its first supermarket, the Ximen Supermarket. After that, the number of traditional markets began to decline as more and more supermarkets sprouted up around the country. In a bright, clean environment, supermarkets display goods in a systematic layout, offering a wealth of choice. They make it easy for shoppers to find products and compare prices. With the advent of supermarkets, Taiwan consumers got longer business hours in parking lots, as well as a variety of ways to pay. In contrast, traditional markets seemed dark, dirty, and inflexible. Supermarkets were especially popular with younger consumers. The way the we were affected by a broader trend. Customer demand dictates customer behavior. The customer wants a sanitary environment with good standards and quality products. They want shopping times that suit their work schedule. These demands constituted an external shock to the industry. Traditional markets fell short of what shoppers came to expect. More recently, with the emergence of online shopping, traditional markets have fallen even more behind in the race for customers. 消费者在人的部分，其实他们更强调的是一个呃个人化的一个购物。What customers today want is a personalized experience. Especially because of the pandemic, a large proportion of consumers have shifted to online shopping. Whether in an e-commerce platform or manufacturer's official websites, many consumers, a very large number of consumers, have started shopping from their cell phones. Working at a traditional market requires long hours and comes with almost no prestige. These days, these markets suffer from a labor shortage as young adults eschew the line of work. With the cards stacked against them, traditional markets have to get creative to stay in business. Surrounded by historical buildings in the heart of Taipei's Datong district, Dalong Market was once housed in a building made of concrete mixed with sand. Following the government's urban renewal program in 2015, it became the first eco-friendly building nationwide to house a traditional market. Today, we are with Wu Bijiao of the Dalong Market Autonomous Association to talk about how traditional markets can diversify. This is our entrance here. You can see the four characters for Dalong Market. Together with the Confucius Temple and the Baoan Temple, we form a series of cultural heritage sites. We need to meaningfully demonstrate that connection, so the use of black here brings out that meaning. Inside, the market has been divided into sections, fresh food on the right and snacks and dry foods on the left. Walking into the fresh food section, one notices the absence of the smells that usually fill the air at traditional markets. At each stall, wastewater is collected and garbage is separated. There is none of the usual blood splattered about and none of the usual foul smells. There is also no wastewater mucking up the wood-printed tiles. 
Fresh food is kept in refrigerated glass cabinets, keeping it from spoiling. In short, there is nothing here resembling the unsanitary impressions people have of traditional markets. Here, the market has taken on a wholly modern appearance. Located on Taipei's Hangzhou South Road, the Nanmen Market is a showcase for the innovation of market vendors. For example, this fish seller has abandoned the traditional tile counter for displaying fish and replaced it with an ice-filled porcelain boat. All manner of fresh seafood are laid out here on a bed of ice. Both freshness and sanitation are prioritized. When a customer is ready to buy, the seller collects the fish on a large tray and takes it to the back of the stall to clean and package. Overhead as well were signs of innovation. Studio lights are installed above most stalls, lighting up the faces of the vendors and encouraging visitors to shop. Payment methods here are also wide and varied, so visitors are not forced to pay in cash. With a simple scan of a barcode, purchases can be made digitally with a cell phone, satisfying the needs of trendy youth. Traditional markets go back as far as the Qing Dynasty and are an inextricable part of Taiwanese culture. The warm human interactions they host are something modern supermarkets simply can't provide. To survive in the modern era, many traditional markets are racing to reinvent themselves. But it's not easy, and in the process of reinvention, markets can start to lose some of their most precious qualities. That's next time on Old Markets in a New World Part 2. Join us next Sunday.